what's going on? My name is Rich Ryan. This is the Reinforced Running Podcast. Hello. Today we have Casey Monroe. Casey has been on absolute fire this year in the Spartan circuit where she's racking up podiums. Uh, seems seems like every weekend, but Casey has been in the sport for quite a while now and has been uh, has been able to see how it's progressed in terms of the competition that she's been facing and has seen some great strides in terms of her own performance. So we dive into that a lot and we talk about what, what competition means to her and really how she's been able to continuously get uh, better over the the past several years. So Casey and I, we actually have very similar experience levels. So I related to a lot of what she was saying. So I really enjoyed the conversation. We went to some places I wasn't really sure we were going to go. I didn't have planned to, but uh, again, she she just has a ton of knowledge. And also toward the end of the podcast, um, we talk more specifics about the physical therapy world and how uh, OCR athletes can kind of help prepare themselves to not get injured and what they should do when they do get injured because Casey is an owner and operator of her own physical therapy practice in Big Fork, Montana. So she has a ton of knowledge as a competitor and as a professional. So we could have kept going on and on, but uh, we'll just I'll just stop going on and on and we'll just get into it. Casey Monroe. All right, Casey Monroe is here. Casey, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, so uh, again, I, I'm really excited to dive in. I want to talk about so, like just the sport in general, some of your uh, practice in PT, and just just general thoughts on training. So when I was looking at some of your, like, your, your past, it looks like you got into OCR almost like not too far after your collegiate career and you saw some early success in uh, where you were a top 10 finisher at Tahoe in like 2015 and you've been a high level competitor pretty much since 2013 and you've been involved in the sport at a couple at at a few different capacities whether it's uh, now with the Elevate program through OCR Dream Team you offer some of your professional services to some of the women on the team as as a a physical therapist so it seems like you really care about the sport I do so I'm, I'm interested in hearing yeah exactly so i'm interested in in talking a little bit to you about what you where you see the sport in in terms of where it was and where it's going so how would you describe the progression in terms of the competition since you've joined in 2013 until now and and particularly like in the women's field because i'm pretty interested in in kind of where that's been and where it's kind of going yeah uh, it's definitely it's definitely gotten more uh competitive uh just even just the general races too just you know like the everyday races that maybe aren't national series races the competition has definitely stepped up and been more competitive and just more elite runners and and athletes you see on an everyday basis like i think you about any race that you do now you can guess that there's a handful of girls that are going to be really competitive and push the field um it used to be that you could kind of guess that there was a race that you you could go to and hopefully podium or, or get in the top three pretty easily, and it's not that case anymore. It's usually pretty steep competition. Um, but, yeah, I think um, even in the world championships, it's just crazy because you just see all these amazing athletes pop out, and you're like, whoa, where'd they come from? You know, like even different countries come out and – you just never know what your competition is going to be anymore. So as any sport seems to really kind of grow and there gets to be 
more exposure for it we would hope that athletes will come in so it makes sense that the the athletes are starting to get a little bit better like it seems like the depth of field i agree especially this year in particular on the women's end every race seems to be stacked yeah. and in previous years like you said it seemed like the the depth may not have necessarily matched up to where it would have been in the men's field maybe the men's would have been a little bit deeper in the past just generally speaking but this year doesn't really seem to be the case it seems like people are really kind of uh involved like involved in in going out and racing more often and racing against the good competition more often uh, so what do you think that is what do you, why do you think the the competition has been able to improve over these past you know seven eight years I, I think exposure is a big thing um just people are are realizing that these races are out there and uh getting to these races is kind of a priority now like uh i know i just speaking from my experiences, I I shoot for the races that I think there's going to be other people too, because um, I want that competition. I want to be able to to go out and see how I'm pairing up. Because sometimes our races, like our national series, take it this year, it's Jacksonville and Utah. I mean, we've got February to July, so all those months in between, I I like to hit a race where I know there's some competition, so I can kind of gauge where I'm at because that's a huge, you know, huge gap. And then all of a sudden we're going to have July two national series races. And so we kind of, you know, want to be prepping all the way up, um, until this point and our season tends to be really long. So, um, I like to, to just try to gauge where, where I'm at. Um, and I think exposure, you know, like social media is huge on pushing the competition too, is just seeing what's out there, seeing what other people are doing. And that draws more people out from, um, you know, other disciplines, whether it be uh, trail racing or road racing, we're seeing some women, you know, pop out from uh, less traditional places and, and drive the competition. Um, so yeah, just exposure and social media. So that's that's one thing I'm glad you brought up is getting women in from different avenues because you were a Division One runner, right? Right. And there, and you came into it there, a couple years removed. It, it seemed like anyway, from what I could, the timeline that I could kind of put together, it seemed like you know, there, as once you found OCR, you kind of went there. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of how many other women and athletes in general, because I was I, I was probably the same as you that where. Uh, kind of like mid-level Division One runner and decent contributor on a team, but but uh, not necessarily at that level. Like there's definitely levels of athletes above me in terms of like the competition that I was going against. Right. And in, when I think of it that way, there's so many talented athletes, and only a few people like you or I are now in this space. And there are some people who still run, some people who don't. But it doesn't seem like there's a huge influx of people like moving into this. Right. Uh, so like, how do you think we could get people in this? Like, why do you think there's not? Um, well, <laughs> Spartan racing is pretty gritty, you know, like it, it gets people, I think a lot of people from the outside looking in, yeah. they see, you know, like crawling in the mud and, and lifting things and throwing things. And I think some of those aspects don't appeal to some of these amazing athletes. They're like, oh, I'm good at running. Why would I want to put in these other aspects? Um, 
But I think just exposure and maybe invitations, you know, like maybe seeing some of these high level athletes and saying, Hey, you know, maybe you were in a multi eventer in college or maybe a really good trail racer, you know, extending some invitations out to these people and saying, Hey, come try this race. Come, come just, you know, get your feet wet. Cause that's what it took for me. I mean, I had that same aspect in the, or that point of view in 2013, uh, Spartan came to Montana and people were like, you, you need to go try this. And I was like, uh, I don't like barbed wire. I don't like crawling in the dirt. I really don't like being dirty. Um, (laughs) unless I'm in a race. And so, um, you know, it just took someone saying, get out here and try it. And then I was hooked. And I think, I think athletes just don't see themselves as OCR racers because it's, it's still relatively new in the world, in the world. And I think a lot of athletes don't want to get outside their norm. Um, and so maybe invitations, you know, challenges of saying, Hey, $5,000 are on the line for this. Come try it. So. I think that one thing that I would love to do, and I think about this a lot, I would love to go to a college campus and talk to the coach and like sit down the seniors from like the cross country and track team and just like present them with this as an option. Cause the, at least from my team and my experience, like most of those people don't even run anymore. Uh, and I think we're like the exact same age. When did you graduate high school? Uh, 2004. Were you, Yeah, me too. Right. So, I mean, we've been doing it for a long time. So like people might not be able, like have that fire burning to consistently run, you know, 10 plus years after college, but most of them stopped like right away. And it just seemed like that they were almost like burnt out on the idea of competition, especially with running because like you have like this time to live up to, you know? Yeah. Um, so I would love to just sit down the seniors and be like, listen, like you don't have to run as fast. Do you like, do you like trail running? Do you like lifting weights? Like you can just still kind of be competitive. So I, I would really like that. But because um, I think you're right, just like l- creating awareness around those athletes who don't quite know what it is. Yeah. So like, I'm interested. I'm interested to to hear like what you think, like how you kind of really dove into this, because you said like you didn't like to get dirty, and sometimes I think about that people were just kind of brought up this way, and they were like kind of outdoorsy people who went rock climbing and trail running and they were just like always in the mud and the dirt and then like OCR came and they were like a natural fit but that doesn't seem to necessarily be the, the case for you no um did you just get over it right away or like, yeah. <laughs> like how uh, did you how did you uh, kind of like get then dive into it I'm extremely competitive so I think that side of it once I get into a race it it didn't matter anymore but I have a little obsessive compulsive disorder especially with like cleanliness um and so it's something like I have to be motivated. Therapy. Yeah, I have to be motivated to get past that. I mean, I ride horses and I, I compete in endurance races with horses and you get dirty and dusty on that. Um, so it just has to be like the right venue for me to want to be dirty. Um, but I, you know, um, let's see where I was going with that. Uh, I also want to talk a little bit more about the college athletes. Um before we get too far from that. Um, yeah. I think that isn't a great Thanks. idea um, because, you know, just personal experience, I ran the steeplechase in college, cross country in college, um, track athlete. I was kind of a mid-dist, 
you know, like a, a two miler. So I wasn't really a 10 K runner. wasn't really a 1500 meter runner. And then after college, there's really nothing for these athletes, you know? And I think getting into a semi-professional or professional field of, of some of these other sports that, that are out there, like trail racing, I, I didn't even know how competitive trail or sky racing or some of these mountain races were. Um, and then I definitely didn't know about OCR and, you know, it's been around longer than what I've been at. But uh, I think exposing some of these young athletes, and, and I think that's a great idea, going to these college campuses or, or, or getting out there with some of these other disciplines too, because some of these athletes come from soccer or softball or, you know, <laughs> just playing all rock climbing. And, mm-hmm. and it's, there's so many people that can be amazing athletes, uh, especially in the OCR world, because it's, it's, a, it's a broad spectrum of things that you can be good at. But, yeah, that's it. That's an interesting idea is to, um, yeah, even go to the soccer team because yeah. they because at least for runners like and I'd be interesting on what like when I graduated, I was still trying to run roads. I was again, I was like mid-level uh, like I wasn't like, to make the Olympic trials in, in anything would have taken a, a huge improvement that um you know, would have taken a big commitment to be there, but like I would, I would still do the road races, still want to improve, still want to get better. And there was still comp- competitive outlets for me uh, until I did find obstacle course racing in uh, right around the kind of the same time as you. Um, and I was in like CrossFit here or there too as another competitive yeah. outlet. But like, anyway, but like soccer players, they don't have anything, you know, like yeah. and for them to come out and like then they, they maybe sign up for a 5K, get killed in it. And like maybe get a little bit better here and there, but that's a that's a really good idea is to get like just talk to all of the aspiring athletes who have yeah. um, this competitive drive. What what and would you I do think, right after college? What'd you do after? Uh, well, I I finished my college running career in two thousand eight. I think it was two thousand eight. Um, no, two thousand nine, and so. I didn't graduate grad school until 2011, so I was going to school, <laughs> living in okay. living in uh, grad school. But then after college, I, I went and um, got a job at a, a gym, being a PT in the gym, and that's where I got exposed to it. But um, you know, I tried triathlons. I'm a terrible swimmer, so triath- I tried triathlons because you know it was something that I could be relatively good at without a whole bunch of change in my training, um, except for swimming, um, you know, biathlons where they were doing biking and running. Um, so I was, I was definitely trying things out after, after college, just trying to find where my outlet was going to be. And I think, I think a lot of athletes try that too. You know, they try road racing. They're like, Oh shoot, (laughs) maybe I'm not, you know, in the road racing shape that I was in college. Um, and you know, so I think trying a bunch of different sports is, is common for high level athletes, but, um, I'd like to get the people that are before they're even trying to, you know, just randomly try things, um, get them right out of college because we need a younger population coming in. You know, we see these like mid, um, you know, later twenties, early thirties athletes, but we're not seeing a whole bunch of like 19, 20, 22 year olds coming out of college. Um, or high school, and it'd be great to see a younger population coming in because that's the longevity of this sport and how we're going to push it to be more um, competitive and maybe possibly Olympic someday is getting this younger generation, and that's what's going to drive um, 
it to be more popular. So. I've been thinking about this so much lately, like, because the things that are going to attract, you know, sponsors and more eyeballs are the things that are going to be appealing to younger people in general and that are going to want to get eyeballs on it. And right now, OCR is a sport. Like, a lot of the athletes are athletes like you or I who we already had kind of done something and then we we're like doing something else almost, right? It yeah. wasn't something that we were brought up into doing. And uh, and now like, so there's not like young, like super young dynamic talent that uh, that younger kids could like point at and be like, oh, there's a, that's a professional OCR athlete. We're all like professional something else's and also this, this now. So like I, I I totally agree that like getting this younger population in so that even younger kids can then see them as inspiration because the kids the like the sports that are the most popular basketball or football or whatever the most recognizable ones soccer um, they're young people playing the sports you know it's like the the Trey the, the Trey Youngs and LeBron Jameses who that 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 move, shift generations and like. We don't really have anything like that right yeah. now. Um, I mean, you know, so like what, it would be great to get those those younger kids in. Yeah, and then you look at like myself. I'm a 36 year old uh, PT that's you know being competitive. Uh, you know, it's not really as relatable to that younger population. They see a mom out here racing, and you know, I'm I'm mid 30s, and what the sexy thing for sponsors is a younger you know generation, and we need to just maybe push and drive some of the age groupers that are younger to move up to elite because when we run an elite we are rarely full in an elite section if you look back you know like you'll see 10 15 really good women um in running elite but we're never full in that section um starting a race and so i would love Mm. to invite some of the younger people up and say hey try it out try running with the elite see get your toes wet get a taste for it And this kind of seems like this is a bit of the conversation that's happening within the OCR circle right now is like, why are people kind of hanging in the age group category a little bit more? Uh, I actually never have thought about it until like just these past like week, maybe Uh, like that whole deal with like Killian or whatever, like ORM was really reporting on like this whole big thing. Like, and, and to me, I didn't care. I have no thoughts about that at all. I don't really care either. it, It started to, to like... No, it doesn't. It doesn't mean anything to me. Whatever, who cares? Um, but the conversation then is kind of what you brought up. It's like, okay, well, why are people in age group still? And right. this is an interesting conversation. This is more of an interesting idea. Is like, is it that they are worried about not accomplishing something, or is it that there's no in- not the incentive to 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 move up? Right. Um, because you're right. Ultimately, the more competition that's there the more it will drive everybody to try to elevate everybody to a, a higher performance. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think? Um, I think it'd be great to have placing in like the top 10 for races, um, you know, routinely because people see the top three and they look and they say, Oh, there's already five really good girls there. There's no chance for me. I'd rather stand on top of the podium and get a medal in age group, which is super fun. You know, like you run a race and you, you get a podium. But to me, you know, there's a ceiling in age group. And I think people should maybe podium out, say they get 10, you know, podiums, and then they have to move up to elite because I think it's great 
for people to run age group, but I also think it's great for people to try and push themselves and, and try a new level too. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I just wish people would believe in themselves a little bit to try to compete with the elite. Like personally, I want to compete with the best. Um, if I'm going to, you know, mm-hmm. automatically, uh, get a medal in age group, um, and I know I'm going to routinely get top three in age group, I would want to move up because I want to challenge myself and run against the best. I want to see what I can do, you know, like that's, but maybe that's a different mindset. So I don't know. Yeah. And I don't know. Sometimes it's like, it's like separating the place that people get versus like the effort that they're putting forward or the best that they can accomplish or the most that they can be of themselves. And, and like, what is the, what is the goal at the end of the day for these people? Like, is it, is it too win or is it to push themselves as hard as possible or do they push themselves harder when they there's a possibility to win you know right. like would they not be able to harness this effort if they were going into the race knowing they were going to get 18th if they ran right. the best race of their life you know yeah. um so what do you think would help give you mentioned that like because i think you're right like the belief that people need to have in themselves is 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 big right if you don't believe that you can get top five in an elite race like maybe you need to wait until you're ready um and having like like you said, like a, a number that you need to hit and then you're, then you're out. <laughs> like that would kind of yeah. force the belief. What do you think the athletes in general uh, need to help believe in themselves a little bit more to like help get them into this next tier? Oh gosh. I, you know, it's, that's a tricky question because it, it's very internal. So it's like, what, how can we internalize something in someone? And if they, if they're not, the right personality type to, to want to challenge themselves against the elite, they might not push themselves, um, in an elite setting. Um, but they might push themselves more in age group, but I kind of like the old way that Spartan used to do it is, uh, you run elite and then you can place within elite in your age group. Um, you know, you take out maybe the top 10 girls and then the rest can place an age group or whatever, you know, you could win, uh, a master's class and get on the podium, you know, it used to be. Um, but now it's almost like there's so many opportunities to get a medal in age group that people just aren't moving up because, you know, they know that they're going to be competing with just their, their age group. Um, and they like that medal and they like that feeling of getting on a podium, which is great. I love that. But I also feel like there's people that stay there and don't move up. And I, I want to encourage those people that are kind of, you know, getting on the podium every time and say, Hey, try, try coming in and running elite. And I don't know what, what the right, uh, right thing will be to move those people forward. Um, but I'm, I'm thinking about it and trying to figure out a way to encourage people. Um, and sometimes it just takes elite runners saying, Hey, come out and try it, you know, like move up, come run with us because you know, you're running with the best of the best right now. So I think people could surprise themselves. And we're not, yeah, and it's not like the elite athletes are uh, these like cyborg athletes. Right. It's not like an N- the NBA. If you take like a rec league athlete and you show like show them LeBron James, you'd be like, can't do anything about that. But like right. the the elite athletes, they're very good at what we're doing. But they're, I don't think anybody's superhuman in this sport, right? You know, right. Necessarily. So it's like they were not that different. So like get in there yeah and i think Um, some young athletes would surprise themselves i really do there's like lily um you know lily was running mm -hmm. age group and i remember her passing me at tahoe 
um, in 2019. Granted, I did like so many burpees in Tahoe because of how cold it was. But I remember Lily passing me and I was like, <laughs> Lily needs to be in um, the elite because she was doing phenomenal. Because she was an age, she was an yeah, age group race that day. she was running an age group. Right. And, right. and getting her to move and, up, you know, and she, she did that because she wanted to get more practice and, and competition and kind of season herself as an athlete before moving up, which was very smart. But then at, you know, like... And she's very young. She was like and she's 18 very or 19 young. at the time, yeah. right? And so that's a perfect yeah. way to do it and then move up. But And now she's she's elite and, and she should be there. But I think there's some other people out there that um, are up and coming and we just need to encourage them to jump in and try it. Because I think running with with faster people makes you faster. It's just, you know, you, you can jump in an Olympic trials race and you're probably going to run the best race of your life because you're going to be pulled along with them for, you know, four or five laps and you're going to get a little bit further ahead. And I think that's with racing too. Um, I think that's how I got better is I just kept jumping in races and saying, I might not be the best 5k runner out here, but I'm going to keep exposing myself to this. And eventually, you know, you get better technique, you, uh, get better at just your running form and trail running. And, you know, I got better just from exposure. Um, I'm not training incredibly hard, you know, so you you pick up things when you're yeah. especially in this sport like people there's it's not like a like a 10k right like you do one thing right. and like you run out of gas or you don't but like right. you like i learn on the course all the time i'm just like oh, oh, yeah. i don't even think about doing it that way um because there's a lot of avenues to do so i agree like you would learn a lot by watching um but let me let me ask you this a little bit so looking at and again i, I was just kind of going through your athletes and seeing like what i could kind of put together and it looks like, yeah, you had almost immediate success, right? And then in the past two or three years, it seems like your success has uh, like has been stepping up a bit. And this year, you're having like a really, really strong year. And I don't know what 2020 would have held for you. Um, and I'm, I'm sure it maybe it would have been the same type of progression. But this year seems to be better than 2019 so far for you. Would you agree? Right. 2018, uh, end of 2018, 2000. Beginning in 2019, I definitely had an injury um, that I was favoring. And so I think I was kind of getting burnt out too. I think those two years I did like 25 races per year. So I did like 50 some races, um, 2018, 2019, just trying to get myself better. You know, I kept thinking if I can just figure out how to pick up seconds on obstacles and running and, you know, um, but as a result, I got myself into kind of a chronic injury. And so 2020, I was pregnant and we also had COVID. So it was kind of like a forced recovery. And so I think I've picked up those skills that I picked up from 2018 and 19, but now I'm running with a better body. And so I think that's why this year is going so much better. Mm is I had a little bit of forced recovery mm. and, and now I'm coming out, um, fresher. So that will, well, that makes sense from the, from the physical. And I would love to kind of get into that a little bit because yeah. I did notice you do, you do race a lot and kind of like figuring out how to, how to manage that and like pros and cons. But now that you have like the physical skills kind of put together and like the, the rest, like you're rested, like ready to go, are you starting to kind of is the mental side coming along as well? Like that belief that we talked about, or was yeah. that always there? Or are you now like, Hey, I'm here and I can be, yeah. against, I can go against anybody. Yeah. I think, um, 
the mental side of it's huge because, you know, you can make yourself do things that your body is not capable of. Um, but it, it all takes like the perfect combination of like, uh, keeping yourself, uh, in the, you know, good recovery, um, sleep, which I'm not getting right now. So I don't know how I'm performing sometimes because I don't get a whole lot of sleep with a baby. Because <laughs> um, um, you were just pregnant, right? Because <laughs> I was just pregnant and have this newborn that doesn't sleep. Um, but uh, <laughs> the mental side of it is huge for me because I came in on fire this year. I was like, okay, I got something to prove. I know I can be better than what I've been in the last couple years. Um and my injuries starting to feel better. And, you know, I came in off a year of not competing at all. I mean, we, what we compete Jacksonville and uh, Southern California. That was it. And then yeah. everything yeah, shut yeah, yeah. down. Um, so I kind of came on with a fire, um, wanting to do better this year, wanting to prove that <laughs> middle thirties, uh, is not the death sentence. And, and, you know, having two kids is not the death sentence either. Um, so, you know, I I think women come back a little stronger too after pregnancy because we've been through labor and we have a little bit higher pain tolerance. And so we also come off that mental boost too. So I think that's kind of fun um, to show people that too. Yeah, that's interesting on the pain tolerance point. I don't know if this is true. And maybe I'm just, I heard this somewhere and it's just someone speculating on something. But I heard something about the red blood cell count as well after being pregnant. Just there, it, there might be more available red blood cells because of yeah. the expansion of like life. Is that yeah. true? Well, or is that you just have something that an I'm... increase in blood volume. Um, hormones in the first, even in the first trimester, um, you know, your, your body's producing an oversupply of red blood cells when you're just first pregnant too. And then you kind of keep that blood volume going through pregnancy. And then it, it, it lasts for, it can last for several months, um, post baby too, keeping that red blood cell, you know, content up because it, it's trying to keep, you know, a baby alive, you alive. And then the hormones are going crazy. So you got all this like extra nutrition coming in and you're trying to, um, you know, uh, supply for a baby too. And I think that's beneficial to women in, in sports. Um, and, and you've seen it, you know, like Allison Felix and some of these other amazing mamas mm -hmm. that are running Olympic trials and they're doing good, you know, a year to two years post baby, they're still running amazing times. So I think it carries out for a little bit too. I, I would love to see what the numbers were for, um, mothers who qualified for the marathon Olympic trials this past year. Cause it seemed like that was something that yeah. was pretty common, uh, amongst the field. Um, but anyway, the, the, so what does like the mental side of it now, you just mentioned like almost like you had something to, to, to prove more or less, like what, what is keeping you going? What does make you come back? I mean, you have two kids now. It could and like you've you've raced quite a bit. You've had a long career. You're, uh, you like you're a professional. Like you you have your own PT practice. Like it would be easy to be like, okay, there's enough now. <laughs> like, yeah. But what what kind of keeps you going? Yeah, there's definitely you know times when I'm like, is this you know like is this something I want to continue? Because it takes a lot of effort to train when I have you know, a PT practice. I have seven employees that I have to watch over. Um, I have two kids. I'm a, a wife, a mother, you know, my family's here. So I help take care of my grandparents and my parents live here. So, you know, like it would be easy to drop something just to make life easier. Um, 
but I don't think I've ever done that. <laughs> I've always taken on a lot and I like to be busy. Um, but I think this year I came out because I was like, okay, this is, this is going to be the telltale if I'm going to make it or not, if I'm going to keep competing because I, you know, I, I definitely don't want to hang on too long and keep getting worse and worse and worse. Um, just because my mental aspect, I like improving. So if I if I ever get to the point where I'm kind of stale and, and not loving it, I might find another sport. You know, like just because I like to be challenged, I like to keep improving. And when when you don't improve, um, I think it, it's it's hard as an athlete, especially someone who's competed her whole life, to just you know see like no improvement. And I think um, that's why I was kind of on fire this year. I was like, okay, you know, like I know I'm a good athlete. Um, but I don't feel like I've shown it yet in the OCR field. Like I've, I've been, um, Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, hanging on to the coattails of some of these top runners, but I want to go out and see what I can achieve this year and see if I can push my body to these limits that I know I'm capable of. I just haven't been able to. So I think that was my motivation this year and, and having two kids, I'm like, yeah, moms can do it too. Cause I feel like so many people were telling me, oh, you're going to, you're going to stop competing now. Right. And I'd be like, uh, no, (laughs) I love this. Like, this is a big part of my life. This, this keeps me excited. And, um, you know, it's something that gives me goosebumps watching, you know, others compete. I I love watching the Olympics. I love watching the trials. I love watching, you know, old, older Spartan races and seeing the top girls push themselves to the limit. And that, that's what I want to keep going because that's, that's the fun stuff, you know? Yeah, I'm with you on watching that stuff. I watch like CrossFit workouts, not even yeah. the games. I'll just watch people just do like workouts sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but I'm with you. I've I've I'm kind of in the same spot where where you are in terms of like I'm still able to see improvement um, in different areas, like not just OCR, but like my my running was actually the better, like really strong last year, probably the best it's like ever been. Uh, and like now I'm like getting a little bit stronger, so I'm still like seeing things go up where we're you know in our mid 30s, but. Um, I've never got I I haven't even thought about like what it's going to be like when it like stops. Have you thought about what it would feel like when it's going to be like cuz supposedly it's supposed to stop you're supposed to stop getting better at some point. I don't yeah. know. But they say I, at some point you're supposed to not keep improving. Like are you preparing yourself for that at all or kind is it of. just like we'll, we'll we'll see how it goes. Are you? I think like, as a, a what, do you, mom, what do you what do I I think there's this always like uh, stigma that you know like once you're a mom your fitness starts to I the old school um stigma that once you're a mom you know women get the mom pants and <laughs> you don't compete as hard and maybe you're not running as hard because you have all these things going on and so I have prepared myself like I think through both pregnancies I was like okay is this is this going to be it you know like because you don't know how hard the pregnancy is going to be what your body's going to do after um and so I have mentally prepared myself, but I think that also kind of spurred me on because I'm like, no, I'm not going to be uh, the mom that just walks, you know, like and there's nothing wrong with people walking. But to me, that would be a huge lifestyle change. I love running. Running is my mental health. You know, like if I need some sanity, mm. I go out and run. And so I want this to still be a part of my life. And I, I can see that plateau in the future, you know, I'm like, okay. I'll, I'll just switch to something else, you know, like I may plateau in OCR, um, in the future, but 
I'll find something else to push myself because I like to be competitive. Um, and when I no longer can be competitive in something, I'm going to find something else. <sighs> I think about like the contingency plan because I got some too, right? It's like, okay, when this <laughs> stops, like I'll go, I'll go do that other thing. But the competition of it, like, like I, like I want to, sometimes I wonder if I can just not compete and just like be okay with be it. Okay. If I could just do something that there's no, where there's no result, right? Like yeah. maybe I'll just start like drawing <laughs> or something. <laughs> um, probably not. Uh, but yeah, would, like, you, would you like it though, the, you know? Right, right. Would it just, would it be fulfilling? Yeah. Um, or would, or would I just be driven back or I'd, I'd end up doing drawing competitions? I'd be yeah. like, okay, I'm taking these drawings <laughs> and I need, to, I need to know how I'm stacking up. Um, so is the competition something that is just going to be there? And has it always been there? Um, what, what's your relationship been like? Because you mentioned being competitive a couple of times. Was it always like a healthy relationship with competition? Or yeah. has there been like a way you've had to kind of curb it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, how's, how's it been coming along? <laughs> I've been competitive since I think my mom got us into cross country in like kindergarten. Um, and even back then, you know, it wasn't everyone gets a medal. The top you know, six got a medal or, a, you know, a little ribbon. And so mm -hmm. uh, I think luckily we grew up, um, for the most part, our childhood, not everyone got a medal, not everyone. So I think that's kind of a, a competitive drive <laughs> is, you know, like early on I was exposed to it and then it went to gymnastics and then I kind of grew too much and gymnastics wasn't so fun being five, six. And so then I moved back right. to running because I wasn't competitive anymore. You know, like I, I've seen this in, in my life, you know, when gymnastics, I stopped being able to be the best I thought I could be. I was like, okay, what next? And then I went on to be a state champion, you know, a runner, um, and then college. And then when co college kind of was my plateau because I was overtrained, I wasn't having fun, um, because I wasn't competitive anymore. And I think it was just, uh, mm -hmm. balance of lifestyle and coaching was not right. And, um, and so I think that's where OCR came in. I was looking for something else, you know, like I was like, Oh, I'm not competitive at this anymore. So I tried triathlons. I tried, you know, uh, all kinds of different things. And then an OCR hit and I was like, Oh wait, Oh yeah, I like this. <laughs> This is competitive. So hmm. I yeah, know. it was probably tough in those college years. I, I, I relate. I had very, yeah. very similar. Like always, like highest achiever, all the sports. You know, did really well high school, Division one runner, and then it just didn't go that well. Mm -hmm. And that was a big bummer. I, I, I sometimes wonder if that's why I'm still at it. Like if there was yeah. going to be a point where if I felt like I did fit the logical steps that were kind of given, right? Like. It does. It it can keep going the way that we that we are still going. But I wonder sometimes if it's like okay, you do the middle school stuff, then you do the high school stuff, then you do the college stuff, and then you get a job, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um. And I wonder if that's why now that I'm I'm still kind of going this way, or if there would be a, a some sort of competition wrapped up in into whatever I was doing. But um, I'm kind of grateful for that collegiate experience just because it, it kind of made the, the decisions and how I wanted to, to move into co to be a coach because I had a bad coaching experience or, and to uh, continue to, to chase after fitness and competition and like live this life that I'm really happy with now. Um, do you, did you have any 
takeaways, like positive takeaways from the collegiate experience for you? Oh, yeah. I loved college. You know, like those, I think uh, one of the benefits of college running is you have some ready-made friends and teammates. Um, you're kind of thrown into this yeah. group of like individuals. Um, and I, I loved being able to run and uh, pursue school. You know, it was like my job in school. So I loved being able to do that. But um, definitely was, was, physically and mentally probably more mental challenge than anything because it just you know you never got that fulfillment and I think you're right I think I never got fulfilled in college you know I had a couple of great races um and then my last year we got a different coach and I started doing better but then I like ended Mm -hmm. you know like that was my fifth year I had nowhere to go and I felt definitely like um dissatisfied and i i always think now i'm like man if i could go back and run i think i could even do better now as a 36 year old against my 20 year old self in these steeplechase races i'm like i i feel like there was wasted potential um and it saddens me a little bit because i you know i was a really good high school athlete and to go into college and be subpar i think that is something that drives me um and definitely made a a mental impact on me of why I keep trying to improve and trying to be better because they, yeah, it was kind of like <laughs> just kind of in there. Do you think it'll like, I look at last year almost as a blessing from that respect. Cause I feel the same way. Like, I feel like there was def- definitely potential left on the table. I feel like, you know, I came in as a good recruit. I uh, just never really quite my fastest mile is still my high school mile. You know, and I, I went to steeplechase as well because the same kind of same deal. It's yeah. like I, I was in this weird kind of like middle, like I was a little more athletic. So I, the, the jumping didn't suck that much. Yeah. Um, so kind of kind of the exact same story as you, right? And this past year, I was able to kind of beat some of my PRs from, you know, 2008 to 2010. And that was like really satisfying for me. It's like, oh, wow. And it like it feels like it almost filled a little bit of that longing I had to see like that, like wasted potential. Do you think there is going to be that? Uh, and like, I don't, but I'm still here competing. Like I didn't like, I wasn't like, okay, yeah. good. Now I can check that off of my life and keep going. Um, do you think, do you think is OCR, will that help you fill that potential that like, uh, that feeling you had of your collegiate career where you may have left some, um, some performance on the table? Yeah, I think running wise, it, it's definitely filling that void. Um, but my husband always has the saying, he's always like, you're never completely happy with any effort because I'm always looking to do better. I'm a perfectionist. And so he's always like, okay, what was, you know, like what wasn't great about this one or, you know, like what was good, you know? So he's he kind of like reminds me like, be happy with your performance because sometimes I'll be like, oh, I got second, you know, like I could have been better. And he's like, but you got second, you know, like, come on. (laughs) And so like, you know, like, uh, I don't know. That's tricky. You know, I may never be fully fulfilled because I'm always looking like, okay, this is great, but what can be better? You know, like I'm a little as good, lots better. I like to see where, where else you can go. And so maybe that's a (laughs) mental a uh, challenge for myself is to be happy in the here and now. And I think that's something I've been practicing, um, especially this year is like being content with my training because it's, it's been tough, but 
I like to push myself. I think I'll always be in this person that's going to look for the next thing. You know, once once I top out in OCR and start plateauing later in life, I, I may move on to something else. We'll see. We might start plateauing. Not <laughs> for sure. Start. That's right. Can't, you never know. Can't say for sure. The um, but like, like you've said it before. Like you, you will add things. You stack things. Like you're and from the outside looking in, it's like okay, there's a lot of success that you're accumulating because of probably this drive that you have to just like keep going and keep pushing. Um, but like, yeah, it, it's it's nice to want to just feel good in the now. Um, what have you? How, how have you been working on that? What do you? Because I like, it's hard to figure out what are some steps to do with, with that where it's not like oh yeah i got second like great cool like i should have got first um wh- how are you trying to get better uh yeah <laughs> uh just trying to be really happy with with what i'm achieving here and now has been a huge mindset for me um not just to look at all the negatives i think as a perfectionist in every aspect of my life can give me anxiety just thinking of all the negatives that out there you know running a business um i like to try to keep everyone happy uh which is impossible (laughs) but you still try to you know keep all your employees happy all of your patients happy all of the clients that come through your doors um and so i've been just practicing mindset of like what what am i in control of what can i change and what is not in my control what can i not change and i think Mm. that's a huge huge mental game for me right now is like when I lay down at night, not to just like sit in my little hamster wheel of thinking everything that I can change. Um, One is just thinking of like five things that did, you know, went well, five things that maybe I need to work on. And then you don't focus on the things that are out of my control. If a patient doesn't, you know, like treatment, you know, there are some things that I can do, but maybe that person is just going to be a Debbie Downer about everything. And so I've been just trying to, you know, mm. control what I can control. And I think that was huge for my training this year because having two kids, there was a lot of times this winter that I, you know, all I could do was a home workout where you, you know, you get out the free weights and you get on the elliptical. And sometimes it's 9.30 at night when the kids go to sleep that I'm getting on the elliptical, but it's like, okay, don't don't look at others and see that everyone's doing these amazing workouts for me right now, this is all I can do and all I can control. Um, and I think I changed my workout plan that way is just being adaptable and, and doing what I can do. Um, and it's working. So <laughs> for me, that's working. It's totally working. Yeah. yeah. And just like, cause that can be hard, right? Like, yeah. especially when it bleeds into the training and like, that's the one thing that, you know, as athletes, we can hang our hats on that. Okay. At least we're working hard. At least we're doing everything we can in training. So like, that when it comes to race day but it sounds like it's almost helpful for you to be able to like take that step back and yeah. just be able to to accept like where, where you're at and then that's do you think it helps with like your rest and recovery oh yeah and and taking days where I, like i feel guilty sometimes taking rest days um at least i have mm-hmm. in the past because you see like the trouble with social media is that you see all these amazing athletes posting all these amazing workouts and you get this rabbit hole of I'm not doing enough. You know, you see these people that live lifestyles that they don't have a nine to five job. They don't have two kids. They don't have, you know, like things that all these extraneous things that 
that I'm having to deal with, you know, you, and you start this little like downward motion of like, oh my gosh, if I could just train like them, could I be better? But you know, like, it's like, okay, get a, get a balance, <laughs> figure out what you can do, figure out what works for you. Um, and that, that's been a huge struggle for me because I, I, I have to unplug sometimes from social media because you see everything now, you know, or what you think is everything, the positive sides that people post. Yeah. And the, the, the social media part, and that's like added stress, like that we don't need in our already stressful lives is like seeing what people are doing on social media. I, I have this rule. If I think, if I think about something that someone else posted in a, in a negative way, um, more than once after I'm off of social media, I unfollow them. <laughs> I'm just like, nope, I'm done. And I'll try to, I, I do the same thing. I'll try to delete it. I, I, there's a point in my day, I'm like, this is no longer adding anything to my world. I need to get it off of my phone. Um, but it is so addictive just to kind of go back to it over and over. And um, yeah, because it's an easy way to feel guilty and feel like you're not you're not enough and live, living up to it. But yeah, um, doesn't help anybody on that, on that respect. Um, can I ask you about the everyone gets a medal thing? Because you mentioned that a little oh, bit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> um, I'm just interested on in your perspective of it because I – like you're right. Like when we were growing up, it was – I, I kind of remember it happening a little bit as, in my childhood, but not always. Um, and I remember – I have one very – distinct memory of it going really poorly for me like I was like the last person to kind of get a trophy for something not sports related if it was sports related I was one of the first ones getting that yeah okay but uh it was it was like actually school related and it was like everybody gets a medal and I was like the last one that got it and I had to get it because everyone gets one and it was really had a negative impact on just like how I felt about myself as like a student um this is when I was like super little too so I think that there's negatives on both ends right like like not everyone is a winner and there needs to be the feeling of dealing with that and also like it's okay to not be and like to still work toward it um and you as a a very competitive person and uh as a mother like how do you think that that culture is will will affect the future generations and like will you are you going to try to combat it yeah well i think it's extremely important to learn how to lose i think that's just like a a talent that we've kind of lost as you know like everyone needs to be patted on the back for you know everything and to me that that loses a competitive drive and i love i love competing so maybe that's a warped um warped uh, way to look at things but i also think it's super important for people to realize when they're not the best and how to deal with that mentally like i think some of my best growth as a human was losing um and and not crying i remember in gymnastics (laughs) having a bad meet and my coach would say you will not cry if you're gonna cry you go to the bathroom because that's bad sportsmanship you will not feel sorry for yourself when someone else does better and it was like oh yeah you know Mm. like it wasn't just like me 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 it was like okay do not cry because you're gonna make the person that won feel like you didn't think they did so good um and so it was just like okay control your emotions like it's okay to get emotional um but maybe not do it in front of someone who won because it takes away from their their amazing achievement um so i think it's good to teach people sportsmanship um learning to be you know like celebrate someone who wins like i love crossing a line and seeing the girls in front of me and and saying awesome job you know like getting beat now is you know like it's 
it's a competitive drive, but it's also, I think I've learned over the years not to be like, poor me, I didn't win, but to celebrate the other people too. So I think it's just an important mental thing to teach kids to lose, like teaching my daughter, you know, to lose in games, to lose in um, the competitive world, maybe not being the best in everything, but to strive for it. I, I like that. I like being able to, because you're going to see it in a job interview. You're going to see it um, standing in line. You know, you see it in all aspects. You can put it to to almost everything of just, you know, learning emotional control. And, and um, I think competitiveness drives us. And I, I think to give everyone a medal, we lose that. And that, that's an important part of my life. So it's hard for me to see that go. The emotional control point is 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 a really interesting like thing to bring up because you you can't practice controlling your emotions unless you're going through them yeah like competition is a way of to go through something that's going to be uncertain and things are going to happen that are going to be out of control and you need to to then practice in that moment of like how to then react to the emotions that you're feeling um which is really the crux of sports yeah, right. like you kind of nailed it with that. I think that that's totally something. So, like, is that so? Will it be? How can you teach kids something like that if it's everything is going to be uh, like softened for them, or the 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 the, the outcome is going to be controlled to a certain point? Um, are there ways to kind of do it outside of sport, or is it like oh, ex- yeah. like an e- explanation to? like tell them after the trip's like well you really lost yeah <laughs> so like what do you think well, about that yeah um, i think it's super important um even in like board games because i'm i'm competitive like i'm sometimes miserable to play with because i i love being competitive <laughs> whether it's monopoly whether it's a stupid card game that no one cares about i care about i like winning um but I think it's super important to show those emotions like, yeah, you can be bummed, you can be upset, but um, let yourself experience those emotions and then, can, you know, back up and be like, yeah, good job. You beat me. Let's play again. You know, like, I think it's important to to show kids that. And I think it's important that they see winners and they see losers and you learn how to... Um, not loser in like a bad connotation, but a person that, you know, (laughs) doesn't win. You know, I don't want to label anyone a loser or anything like that for my kids, but I have a... There's a winner and there's a loser, straight up, right? (laughs) Yeah, but, you know, I have a very emotional, volatile daughter. Um, She is just, woof. So I want to teach her at a young age that if she loses, you can be upset. You can, you know, like be bummed about it. But you better go tell those other kids good job and you better go, okay, what what can I do better next time? Like if you're unhappy with it, what can you change? And I think that's life skills, you know. I think when we say, oh, it's okay, everyone gets a medal, it takes away from the grandness of the person who won too. You know, like that person should be mm-hmm. celebrated because they did something awesome. So I don't know. Yeah, and there's going to be a point in life where like, it's gonna stop like you can't like not everyone is on the same level yeah. at some point someone's gonna have something that you won't that they, they earn, they're gonna earn something that you might not yeah. have earned think um, of productivity like, at work you know like there's gonna be people that earn that raise that 
you know, in my world, treat patients. Like you may do a phenomenal job at treating your patients, but if you see only one or two, um, that's not going to drive your raise at work. But if you, you know, can drive numbers and, and do awesome, you're like, that's an achievement and it doesn't have to be sport related, but you know, you can, you can do competitiveness in all aspects of life and, and find ways to, you know, make a person successful, um, with their emotions in that aspect. Do you try to foster competition within your company? Um, you know, we, not as much, but we're just starting to, we're, we were a small clinic and as we grow, um, there's been some things coming up about raises and, um, we're a small community. So we treat, uh, you know, a smaller amount of patients, but, um, it's come up recently as we've grown that there's going to be a little competitiveness in the workplace and we're going to do bonuses on mm. a productivity um, standpoint. And the staff has not wanted this before. Like I have, I've been open to what they've wanted um, because I used to work for a company that was only productivity driven and it made st- you know, work kind of miserable um, when the only pay you were getting was productivity. Um, but it's interesting to see that my workplace is moving towards that because they do want to, you know, prove that they're working hard and prove that they deserve a raise. And so they've asked for productivity um, driven bonus system. So it's funny that I, I wasn't, but now I am. <laughs> so, yeah. Anybody. Yeah, I mean, it was probably a better route because, yeah, I've been in those type of workplaces before and it can feel, it can be stressful, you know, when it's not, when it, when when that's yeah. the the thing that you're, you're, you're judged on the most is how well, like, you compete or perform yeah. against your peers. Um, but maybe it's just like the people you've attracted to your business are similar to you in that route that they will perform best when there is some sort of competition on yeah. the line. Um, I don't know. That's interesting. Uh, so you want to, can we, how, how are you doing on time? Good. We're fine. Cool. Okay, cool. Cause I love to talk a little, a little PT stuff. We've kind of danced around it. You are a physical therapist. Um, and that's definitely, I'm sure a lot of people listening are familiar. They've, they've gone, they've, they've been, they've been around them. And I'm, I'm interested to kind of hear your perspective on this sport and kind of injury and injury prevention, because I'm sure, like you said, you're, you're small and you're probably seeing more generalized people. And like, there's not a huge population of OCR athletes that I'm sure you're seeing if if any, and the typical runner, which you probably see more of are going to have a lot more regular, like kind of common injuries that you can be a little bit more predictable, but knowing the demands of OCR and the, the injuries will definitely overlap from like a, traditional runner and an OCR athlete, but like how, what kind of injuries will you foresee there being in OCR that might not be, uh, from a traditional sports background or from a like running background? Do you have any idea? Oh yeah. So (laughs) it always surprises me. Um, you've done the descent at Tahoe, right? And I don't know, maybe have you done Utah too? Um, and so yes, I did. I'm 19. I'm always surprised there's not more ACL injuries and ankle breaks and sprains because of how fast people are descending down that treacherous terrain. Like my biggest thought when I'm descending a lot of times is like ACL, 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 because I'm like so fearful of, of tearing it because it only takes five millimeters 
of excess movement and a little rotation to pop that ACL. So <laughs> I have a healthy fear going downhill. Um, and so I, I'm actually <laughs> And now surprised. everybody listening has that same fear. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Especially, uh, you know, like, so, you know, I'm surprised there isn't more um, just injuries, ACL, meniscus, um, ankle sprains and dislocations coming coming down some of that terrain because these these mountain runners, you know, not everyone is trained on that kind of varied terrain. And I think that's one big thing is uh, as a PT, if I was preparing someone, is just doing a lot of um, agility work. I think that's huge, just getting used to that different terrain mm. and different um, drills for that. But, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, the ACL thing, I mean, we've seen that twice. I mean, what happened to Nicole Miracle was not necessarily downhill. That's kind of a freak like, accident, yeah. I don't know exactly what happened. That was more of a freak accident, but that happened to Lacey Burgess in the race you were in. And, oh, um, yeah, and that was downhill. Vegas. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> it was downhill. That was down yeah. a steep, and the, and sandy. From, uh, yeah, and it seems like it was just, she was like, I don't know, I just kind of stepped wrong, and I couldn't really walk. And then I was yeah. like, oh, wow, huh, hope you're okay. And there's like a tour of ACL. I was like, oh, my God, oh, no. Yeah. Ugh. Um, so that is something that, that has been too prevalent in the sport before, but now, you know, that's two instances in the matter of, you know, three or four months, even though Nicole's was a bit of a uh, freak accident. Would, would running downhill that way, what well, with an ACL tear, is it – you know, we're, I'm more familiar with it in terms, you know, soccer players, football players, mm-hmm. basketball players, something happens, right? right. Well, like something happened with Nicole, right? Something happens and like the, an accident, like things just kind of, kind of go. Is there a wearing down that can happen that can then be predicted that that might happen from running downhill or from something that OCR athletes do? Or is it typically going to be like a trauma? In our age group, you know, like young female athletes are typically the most common ACL tears um, just because of the changes in puberty and um, body bodies are changing, ligaments are a little looser when we're growing. And so typically it's going to be the young female athlete that's going to tear an ACL. We see that a lot. Um, but mm. as we get older, um, you know, it's it's not as common just because it's a young twisting like soccer players are super common because they're rotational and um power of their lower legs and so it just takes a plant and twist to tear the acl uh in in soccer players and so you think about running downhill it just takes uh uneven ground like Blasey. um running down a sandy hill you hyperextend. you feel a pop uh, it just takes five millimeters of, of excess movement in one direction and a little rotation, you know, like your, your foot gets caught in the sand and you hyperextend or, um, hmm. you know, you plant and it just pop. <laughs> so, and it could be wearing yeah, sometimes down. It doesn't even, s- but it could, yeah, it could be wearing it down, but, uh, but it's mostly unpredictable. Yeah. I think because it's, ACLs can fray a little bit or have a little bit of tear, but it's more times than not, it'll be more of a full thickness tear or a pretty big tear. It's not just going to just fray and eventually go like rotator cuffs can do that. Um, ACLs are more trauma driven. Mm, Okay. So more just being prepared that. Yeah. 
that can write the meniscus. So like, it, so with the ACL, it's more being prepared over that terrain, more like coordination based, so mm-hmm. that you are less likely to have something like that happen. That's kind of the best way to be preventative. Yeah. So working agility, working in different planes. Okay. So runners typically run in one plane, right? We run forward. <laughs> it's it's traditionally mm-hmm. known that runners are weak side to side because we we spend the majority of our time running miles forward. You know, we don't do a lot of lateral drills. Um, but for a mm. runner to be injury uh, preventative, it would be great for um, them to do ladder drills, uh, BOSU ball drills, uh, disc drills, you know, things that are going to be unsteady um, and unpredictable. So, you know, you think about like football drills. Those are great because football players, you know, are running in all directions. Same with soccer. You're running in all directions all the time. Um, and, and that's the best way to prevent some of these injuries is just being prepared. And so like OCR runners, a lot of us just go out and run trails, you know, like, or on roads. And it's great for uh, us to just try to be active in all the planes. And that's the best way to kind of prevent some of these injuries. Yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a good tip. I like to do that for people, particularly for runners who are coming into the OCR space, doing things like ladder drills, or just like agility drills, like t- like cone drills, mm-hmm. just to get them out of that like straightforward all the time. Yeah. Um, so that's a good tip. Do you recommend, um, because you mentioned people spraining their ankles or twisting their ankles, do you recommend tape? Yeah. While racing? <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Uh huh. In 2000, oh gosh. I think it was 2018, I was running the Montana race and it was the second day and Montana's very, uh, I don't know if you've run the run Montana race, but there's a lot mm. of debris. You're just running over a lot of sticks and mud and rocks. And, um, I was running right behind Faye Stenning and I was like, wow, this race is going great. I stepped around, sprained my ankle, felt a pop, uh, for about a, you know, half a mile I limped and then was able to run the rest of the the race but you know that that little period of time that I wasted limping was how I got you know so far behind Faye when I was running really good and so after that race I was Mm -hmm. like you know what I'm not going to put up with this and so now I preventatively tape my ankles for all races just because because of OCR is so unpredictable in the train that's that's how I you know, protected a weak area of mine. I tend to be a little bit weaker in my ankles um, because of how many times I've sprained them. So, yes. Yeah, I know um, Hosick's a big proponent of that, like taping them up and making sure that you're feeling, I'm sure there's got to be like an added level of Uh, confidence confidence, with that as well. Totally. (laughs) Yeah. If it it makes me feel, yeah, if it makes me feel uh, stronger running down a hill by having my ankles taped, that's a little bit more confidence. That's a little bit more time I can make up on my competitors. Heck yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, could you explain to me how dry needling works? I don't know much about it. I know it is a practice that people really swear on, um, but I've never tried it myself or had it, uh, any like type of practitioner do it to me. Yeah. Could, you, could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, so dry needling is essentially acupuncture. We can't call it acupuncture because we are not Eastern medicine. In, in the U.S., uh, acupuncturists are all Eastern medicine practitioners, um, and they kind of hold that 
that label. And so we use acupuncture needles um, and we don't practice meridians or energy lines or chi, but we do uh, kind of operate under similar acupoints because surprisingly enough, Chinese medicine um, and acupoints meet up with the anatomical position of, of muscles. Um, and so that's a little overlap right there. Um, but what we do with dry needling is we take like an area, say someone has tennis elbow, um, inflammation of their extensor tendons on their um, forearm. And so something that's chronically inflamed. Um, so most people have had tendonitis and you know that feeling of just it's, it's going to be mm-hmm. stiff when you start doing something. It's going to be painful when you do something and then it's going to be sore afterwards. Um, and so like we take an injury like that and we put a needle into that area of inflammation. Um, and so what we're trying to do is restart the body's inflammatory process because when something's chronically inflamed, you kind of get in this circle of, um, it's inflamed, it's painful. The body kind of walls it off because it just keeps happening. And so the body kind of goes, eh, he's not going to fix that. I'm just going to make that kind of, you know, there's going to be some scar tissue. I'm going to like wall off that area and I'm not going to put too much attention to that because he keeps injuring me. And so when we dry needle, we're trying to bring the body's awareness back into that area. So we, we, we dry needle, we put a needle into that area and maybe some other areas of that forearm to stimulate healing. Um, it brings new blood flow in. So you got your macrophages, your white blood cells, um, pain relievers, you know, cellular activity starts happening. And so actually, opioid release of the body so you get a pain relief um but you also get new inflammation just like deep tissue massage or cupping or scraping all the same idea you're trying to get more blood flow to an area that's injured but with needling we can go intermuscular and get down to Hmm. the attachment so you're going so much deeper than you can go with like scraping you're only going to get you know maybe that deep in a body um because there's skin and fascia in the way. But with needling, I can get mm-hmm. right into that tendon, maybe even down to the joint line um, where that tendon is attaching to the bone there and and irritate it and get that so that the blood's coming right into that tendon and it's not really hurting the top tissues. You know, like scraping, you can bruise um, your... your it hurts. Epidermis. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. even irritate some of the, you know, the, the fascia, the... the the fat, the skin that's there, you can cause inflammation in areas that you don't want. And so needling is very direct. Um, and then you can hook up some electricity to it and cause even a neurologic response too. So the fun thing about needling is it's very direct, uh, deeper, and its changes are a lot quicker. So your body's going to be much quicker to respond to that. Will you almost have an acute feeling like if you finish dry needling, will it kind of be like, oh, okay, like it feels good? Is that – and sometimes with um, with foam rolling or soft tissue stuff in general and more of it's like self-practice, it seems to be much more of like a temporary temporary relief where mm-hmm. it's like, oh, my thoracic's tight and like – or I, my, my upward mobility is no good. I like put a tennis ball in between uh, in between my shoulder blades and, and, and move it and I get up and my shoulder range of motion is better. But the next day, it, it's bad again. Right. Um, do you get, does it, is there a lasting effect with it or does it need to be maintained somehow? Um, usually, you know, it, within one treatment, sometimes you can have lasting pain, pain results for up to a week or more. Um, but I will say mm. initially when you have like a chronic thing like tendonitis, I would say you need several treatments because your body needs to 
to come back into that area several times to clear that that tendinosis and inflammation and and the to make lasting changes but it lasts longer and you're going to see like you don't need to do it for you know months you can do you know two to eight treatments and usually you see a pretty big change in that tissue and a lot of times um you know you're adding in rehab exercises with that and it makes even bigger changes and so um it's just faster and um it will last longer at least in my experience yeah that makes sense of how direct you can make it yeah like because like yeah there's like the soft tissue like scraping or like foam like i said it's so blanketed it's so so, like vast area like surface area huh so that makes sense to kind of get in get into there deep um so tendinitis and tendinosis would be good for that yeah it makes sense too just to have repeat times because like it's not just going to get better overnight. It didn't right. get worse overnight. Acute yeah. injuries, like you'll um, see like acute injuries respond much faster. So say someone just sprained their ankle and I'm trying to cause a localized mm. healing response at that ligament. Maybe they tore their deltoid ligament or something. I'm going to go directly to that and needle it. Like I always tell people, try to get in as soon as possible because you you make it last longer. The body has has to have time to repair something that you've let go on for six to eight months, you know? Um, but something more acute, we can make quicker changes and you don't get the compensation of gait. Like another thing with injuries is, you know, you get these compensatory movement actions that you're dealing with too. And so some of it is like there was an injury, but now you're driving that injury with the compensations you're making. And so, you know, like it's, there's a lot of components to an injured runner, especially because runners don't just stop running they keep running through the pain and so they learn all these different you know mm-hmm. movement patterns and get all these different things yeah so that's a great that's a great point um to get it kind of taken care of up front so the, with this being like almost an ancient technique right right there is there any is there anything that you and a lot of these like how you mentioned they're kind of all based around similar philosophies to to help repair things there is there anything that you can foresee happening in the future or that there is something kind of like like just kind of emerging in terms of like technology or therapies that is pretty exciting for you or that you think have a lot of promise that might be even if it's something similar or something that might be a completely different thing yeah uh you know the rehab world is always always adapting and morphing and i find needling kind of right now like in 2011 i went and took my first needling class i was a new grad and you know i was kind of frustrated with like manual therapy you know you go out there and you massage people you can cup a person but sometimes it wasn't making lasting effects and so i feel like needling was was that new age thing that you're talking about like um it, it kind of came to me and I did it and I was like, holy cow, like this, this makes changes so much faster. And so I think things will come along, um, in the PT and rehab world. Um, I think injectables are going to be a big thing, you know, along the lines of needling, um, needling is going to keep getting better. And as the research comes out, I think we're going to just fine tune where we're needling and how we're needling. And, um, mm-hmm. especially neurologically and adding that in with rehab, it's still relatively new. So I feel like needling will take on kind of uh, a greater role, but I think also injectables they are finding all these, you know, stem cells, uh, you know, platelets They're mm-hmm. you know, they're finding these other things that we can inject and stimulate healing. And so I think that's going to be in the rehab world, um, a big component. They're just going to find 
you know, better things to, to use, um, in joints and maybe joint replacements too, you know, like big things are coming in that world too. Um, disc replacements, you know, spine, you know, like vertebrae are going to be replaced in the, in the future. I think knee replacements are going to, you know, the smaller components. And so, yeah, it's always morphine. There's always going to be great things, but I think in the, in the rehab world, I think needling will just continue to get better. Um, just in the small time that I've seen it. Yeah. And because like the research is always just going to be so far behind. It's it's interesting that you brought that up. Like once it's, and it's hard to, to kind of, it seems like it's been hard to prove through research. A lot of these rehab, um, like either like something's definitely happening, right? right? But like, it's hard. It seems like it's hard for people within a lab to prove what's happening, to have any type of like evidence-based proof that like, Hey, this technique will, will most likely get this type of result. Um, yeah, we kind of put ourselves in a box. Yeah, we kind of put ourselves in a box because we're like, oh, it has to be evidence based. But a lot of evidence based things are 20 years old, you know, like knee rehabs. And so, like, we're pushing the dynamic stability and adaptability of ACLs. I mean, we are getting people running much quicker, but it's still, you know, the evidence is. 10, 15 years ago. And so like these case studies, which show improvements, it just takes case study after case study to actually adapt some of these training plans um, to become evidence-based. And I think that's with everything in the rehab world. It's just a little bit behind. And I think looking at new evidence and new protocols is is somewhere that people need to be um, working really hard on. But, you know, it's just, it just takes time and money. But takes forever yeah, yeah right the money too like who's funding it it's like we wish yeah. we had the answers to all these things that could get us really good results but like there needs to be money coming from somewhere the money like the money that's put in needs to like have some sort of purpose for it to kind of come back right it's all screwed up that way um well, but this the, this is what separates go ahead yeah oh in the pt world too a lot of the people that are making the differences are the pra- practicing outpatient pts right but those aren't the people's in the lab writing the research articles. You know, like a lot of people in right. in in the academic world haven't practiced PT in years, you know, or at all. And so you get this 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 shift. Like a lot of times, uh, the academic world was also saying, you know, like oh, maybe PTs shouldn't have their DPT. Maybe PTs, you know, are overstepping their boundaries as being a doctorate of physical therapy. Maybe we need to be more directed by the physicians or whatever. And that, you know, like, but what they're not seeing is that we're seeing patients for the first time. We need our doctorate. You know, some people come to us before going to a doctor. So we need to see, you know, like the advancements of our education and career. I don't want to be told by a doctor what to do because a lot of times they don't know what's the, you know, cutting edge. A general practitioner has less orthopedic training than we do, you know, so I don't want to be told you know, how to treat a sprained ankle by someone that doesn't know anything about it. And I think um, we just need to be better about pushing, pushing the, you know, protocols for some of these athletes because, you know, it's it's just behind. And that's why PT is kind of um, not good about getting research out there is we're just this, this academia and the practicing world just don't meet up. And I think that I think it's backwards in the first place. A lot of times that you need to get 
like a prescription to go to physical therapy. It's like, yeah, why are you wasting everybody's time? Like you and get to go to somebody yeah, that literally doesn't exactly. know how to help you <laughs> yeah. to tell you to go see somebody that knows how to help you. It's like, yeah. that doesn't make any sense. And, you know, we um, are a direct access and, state. So here in Montana, we, we can see patients off the street, but unfortunately the insurance companies are backwards. Insurance. A lot, of, Yeah. <laughs> and they'll be like, well, we won't reimburse unless they have a doctor's prescription. And so I just evaluated a patient. They definitely need PT. They definitely don't need drugs. They don't need an x-ray. They need to see me. But they have to go back to the doctor who then maybe says, oh, just try some ibuprofen and we'll do an x-ray. And so there's more money spent when we could just be treating the patient and getting them better, whereas an x-ray won't even change how we're going to, you know, go forward. And so it's, it's just a waste of money a lot of times. This this is something that I, I've I bump into a lot just as – uh, as someone who's uh, programming and administering programming for people and people coming back and having injuries feeling this way but that way it's like and people who want to have some sort of uh, like they want an answer as to what's wrong with the pain when really the like that the diagnosis doesn't necessarily change like the treatment right. which is typically like rest or recovery so it's like but the, every, everybody's kind of funneled into the system it's like okay well first we need you to do this and if this doesn't come up we need to do this and it's like before you even start to work on what's actually wrong yeah. um everyone yeah, wants imaging you know everyone wants an mri everyone yes. wants an x-ray everyone wants you know all this diagnostic care but that's expensive mris are like three grand um x-rays are pretty expensive too these days and and it doesn't change it. You know, like I know orthopedically what's wrong with the knee. If there's a full thickness tear or not, you're still going to have um, probably conservative treatment and therapy first. And a lot of times they're showing, you know, like things like uh, rotator cuffs don't need to be fully repaired. You know, like most people have more pain mm. after a rotator cuff surgery than they did if they just rehab the, the torn muscle. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, you'll get me on my little soapbox here. <laughs> I'm 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 stoking the fire. Cause yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine how you feel. I feel this way. Yeah, because I had something like that. I, I had an injury earlier this year that I don't know what it could have been. It could have been anything, but it hurt really bad when I ran. I couldn't run. I could do other stuff. So I did the other stuff. I didn't run, and I didn't get it checked out because it's like, what's yeah. it going to change? You know, like I, yeah. I just rehabbed it, and just it got better. Um, but yes, you made one of the points that I was going to make for you. We we're actually going to say it at the same time, but like this is what makes the practitioner so important. And like leaning on someone that is going to be evidence based, they're not pushing. They're not pushing it forward. They're not thinking for themselves. They're not really diving into different things to really like make a difference. And and there's the there's an art to it to that yeah. point where you and need I to feel kind of like really kind of dig into it. Not all physical therapists are created equal, which I hate to say that about my profession, mm-hmm. but it's in any profession. Like I hate to see cookie cutter PTs working with, with anyone because every individual is so different. So I hate to see, you know, they go in, they ultrasound, they maybe massage a little, give you a couple exercises and boot you out the door. Like not all PTs are created equal. So if someone is not getting the results they want with a PT, uh, try another one because, you know, like even dry needling, the schools for dry needling, there's some really good schools out there and there's some not so good schools, you know, like I, the, the dry needling I chose, um, was an incredible advancement and they, you know, like the, 
the education behind the professors and their experience and the research articles they're putting out because they're actually doing it. That drove me to do the needling class I did because they're one, they practice every day. And two, you know, like they're practicing in Europe and the United States and they're crossing these, these lines and, and really progressing the, the profession. I love that. Um, so just watching mm -hmm. where the PT is learning from is huge too. So not all PTs are created equal. Unfortunately, it's a great point. No, but it's true, and that's like you're right. So like everything, like your your general practice, your your general physician, are not all created the same. But right. we want exactly. them to be right. You go right. through. You, we, we we wish it was. You went through this system, and you got and you have the piece of paper. You know, it's like okay, that means you should be able to do all the things everyone with a piece of paper should do, and it's just not. Yes, yeah. but you know, what do you call a doctor that got C's and a doctor that got A's? I mean, they're both still doctors. Still <laughs> One a doctor. maybe a little bit yeah. mediocre. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, I know. Well, cool, Casey. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah. Uh, I know you're busy and, and carving out some time for me. I really do appreciate it. Where can people uh, find you? I know um, if they want to reach out. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm on... Um, <laughs> I'm... I'm a little old school. I'm slow with social media, but I am on Instagram at Casey.Monroe. Um, I'm also on Facebook and I'm on Elevate too, that new platform. Um, I've been working right. on Elevate and trying to put out some stuff on that too. Yeah. Very cool. Um, and I didn't ask, what's next? What, what, what are the goals this year? What do you think? Um, I just keep pushing, <laughs> keep grinding. Uh, next keep is going. Utah. Yeah. Next is that trifecta weekend in Utah and then Asheville. Um, I'm going to hit the series races, maybe some other little races, um, and then shoot for Tahoe and then maybe the world championships. If things keep going good, I, I might go um, nice. to the world. So we'll see. All right, cool. Thank you. See you later. Yeah.